Hi everyone, I'm Ollie Brand and welcome to the Recipes for Success podcast. Now, with this podcast, we look to empower hospitality entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs to break the mold and focus on realizing their potential, no matter where they are in the industry or even if they're not in the industry yet. And we've got a return guest for you today. It's Katie Moses, the founder of Cam Insights. Now, Katie shares a treasure trove of insights today that any hospitality professional can put into action immediately. So without further ado, let's get into it. Well, Katie, thank you for coming on the podcast. Welcome back. really appreciate you taking the time to speak. Um, I'm going to jump straight into it. And could you give me a short market summary of 2023 in your view? Um, thank you for having me, Ollie. It's nice to see you again. Um, okay, so 2023 has been, in my mind and certainly in our clients' minds, the hardest year of trading that we've ever seen. Um, of course, a lot of people will say, yes, but what about COVID? But during COVID, there was support. Um, and after the pandemic, a lot of that support has fallen away. Some of it is still there, um, but certainly not to the extent that we um uh, require it in order for the industry to uh, survive and thrive, I think is the uh, tried and tested phrase that people are using. So because it's been tough, what we've seen is the hospitality industry time and time again, pick itself up, dust itself off and keep going. And I think that the resilience that the industry has shown has been uh, absolutely unbelievable and 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 the innovation that we're seeing the effort that we're seeing the the companies that are trying to you know uh, not just not pivot like they did in the um pandemic but to reach all different types of customers reach all different use all different day parts use all of the venues that they've got you know there's this idea that that it's got a bit scrappy out there I think you know it's very much you've just got to do what you can to bring the people through the door and to convince them to stay with you to spend with you to return to you I think that we are seeing customer in 2023 has also become way more demanding than we've ever seen before um and that is because they are, you know, the customer themselves are also suffering from the cost of living crisis. So if they're going to go out and they're going to spend money on food and drink and an experience, that experience better be damn good because there is no room for mediocrity. There is no room for um, us not giving somebody the most perfect experience that they can't get from their home. And I think that that's what we've seen in 2023 is just like those standards have, have really increased. The innovation in the industry has increased. Um, and all of that is because of the customer demand. Yeah. Well, on that topic, so you, you just mentioned that the, no, no room for mediocrity. And I, you mentioned death of mediocrity and spoke about value for money in your recent pub roadmap report. Yeah. Um, what, what insight could you share for someone listening that they could put into action immediately? <laughs> Blimey. Um, well, okay, there's there's two major trends that come out of the pub roadmap report, um, which I agree with you, by the way, is fantastic. Um, we are very proud of that here at CAM. And it, it was a delight as well, because we were working alongside the BII, which is obviously um, something we love to do. But yeah, so there were two trends that I think that we can be looking at as hospitality operators to capitalise on. 
The first one is the idea of premiumization. Now, that can <clears throat> strike fear into the heart of value retailers, value operators. But actually, premiumization does not necessarily mean quaffing 500 pound bottles of champagne um, and eating caviar and oysters, although that sounds like a fantastic way to spend a Friday afternoon, if you ask me. But um, what it means is just upping the level of the participation of the customer, essentially. So can you upweight them from a, uh, upsell them from, you know, just a normal pint of beer up to a craft beer? Can you make sure that they do order that dessert rather than just get their coffees and off they go? The idea of premiumization really can be used across all value areas. So whether that's premium or whether that is um, sort of your value community local. Either way, it's about getting that little bit of extra spend and also about increasing the enjoyment of the experience from the customer's point of view. Some of the research that we did, for example, said that people would rather have two well-made, well-presented premium gin and tonics rather than three average ones. So it's just all about, again, that experience. And then the other trend that I think came out of the pub roadmap report is uh, the idea of personalization. And I think that the figures were something along the lines of 71% of consumers wanted to be able to personalize their food. Um, so customize their food when they, when they order in a pub, bar, or restaurant. Um, and I think it was about 56% for drinks. Where we had a bit of a, a an issue is that only around 56%, I believe, of, of licensees believed that it was necessary that they could customize food and drink orders for um, their customers. Customization and personalization also leads to a better experience. It's a bit like where I'm getting exactly what I want. You know, so there, somebody is working around exactly what I need um, and my likes and dislikes. Um, and I think that it's important to know. And I, if anyone's ever seen me present before, I always say this, but I, I am a big believer that the gin boom in the UK in the last 10 years is all to do with personalization because you can, in most occasions, pick your glass, pick your gin, pick your garnish, pick your tonic. And actually, it's that idea of being able to personalize the offer um, that is attractive to the UK hospitality consumer. So yeah, personalization, premiumization, I think that they go pretty hand in hand. Um, and I think that they are the trends where we could possibly um, capitalize with customers. It, that's pretty fascinating. In terms of the broader hospitality sector, wh which businesses are you seeing get it right? And, and why do you think they're getting it so right? Oh, okay, that's a that's a great question. I, we, I mean, we've I'm trying to think of some of the people we've worked with recently. Listen, and competitive socialising is obviously, I think, it's about forty percent year on year up in sales. I think that it is here to stay. It's been really interesting to watch the customer mix. For that area of hospitality so the customer mix was traditionally much younger much more male um and actually we're seeing the demographics change within that as it becomes a bit more accessible to all um and i think part of that is because it's not just in the major big cities and it's not just an afterworks um type uh, experience um i think that the 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 casual dining market is I wouldn't say in trouble, but there there have been some some um, worrying signs from that particular part of the market. However, the ones that are doing it right are really doing it right. So you take people like um, Dishoom, you take um, Rosa's Tie, 
all of those people, the people that have got this very definite customer offering, they know exactly who they're targeting their um, food and drink to. They know exactly who are likely to be walking through their door. They are spending a lot of resource on research and understanding who that customer is. And I think, you know, I mean, I'm a research company. Of course, I'm going to say that. But the more you know your customers right now, the more chance you have of succeeding. And if I had a pound, Ollie, for every time somebody said to me, oh, you know, no, we know exactly who our customers are. And then I kind of look into it and it's absolutely not who they think it is. You know, it, it's it, the, the, the customer experience has to be paramount and you can only provide a fantastic customer experience if you know what your customers are looking for. Yeah. Well, actually, if we could dive into that for a second. So, so I mean, marketing is 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 a, a sort of a topic, a massive topic of conversation, especially in the hospitality sector, because direct to consumers and especially in this digital age, um, there's a perception that marketing is just sending messages out, you know, a one-way communication channel. But I think how, you know, just explain yourself because, you know, you, this is, you live and breathe it, research um, and, and best practices for marketing in this day and age that, that operators can kind of take advantage of. Yeah, I think, oh, so, I mean, we've done so much research in this area in 2023. In fact, the, our, the two areas that we've done the most research in is that sort of how do we market to customers and also then a lot of employee engagement stuff that we're being asked to do at the moment. Um, I think from a marketing perspective, gone are the days of the cookie cutter approach. Okay, we cannot just be sending out blanket emails to our entire customer database saying, come and watch the rugby here and get a free pint of X. Um, It's not good enough anymore because customers are more demanding. They want to be offered something that works for them. And actually, interestingly, um, I think some research we we ran recently, I think 61% of customers of of consumers are very happy to share their personal details with a um, pub bar or restaurant or competitive socializing you know any kind of leisure venue um, as long as it leads directly to a more targeted approach towards them so you know uh, yeah I'll give you my email address and you can drop me a weekly email about what's going on in in your bar or in your restaurant but don't invite me to the things that I'm not going to be interested in. Get to know me. Take the time to make sure that you're targeting me in the right way. Um, and that figure actually even goes higher for the younger demographic as well, because the idea that they might get some kind of targeted um, uh, discounts or, you know, um, something that they can enjoy with their friends, at, whether it's a, a, a special dish or whatever it might be. But that idea that it's a personalized experience really, really matters. Hmm. I think if... Um... What in terms of the, I mean, GDPR is something that comes up, isn't it? And and people being comfortable sharing their details. How are you seeing that differ? Because in in some of the reports you share with me, I've seen the kind of generational differences as well. And yeah. and is there is there as the youngsters are coming through, is there is there is there more around data privacy? Are they are they more risk averse towards it, or is it like I mean, what's the general? The the general gist is that the younger demographic who spend seven hours plus a day on their phones um, are data driven themselves. You know, they know that every single website they're going on has is tracking them. They know um, that they are likely to be contacted about 
got a new car if they've been looking up new cars, you know, whatever it might be. Um, it's not that they're less risk averse. They just see it as part of life. Whereas the older dem uh, demographic are a little bit shyer when it comes to sharing data. And they haven't, they're not digital natives. They haven't grown up all of their lives with this thing in their hand that can do anything they need it to do. Um, as long as you give it some of your data and some of your insight and information. So I think that as time goes by, the people that are loath to share their data for a good reason and for the right reason will dissipate somewhat, I believe. Yeah, I mean, the value in it, in terms of, I mean, marketing or advertising, it, it has a, a, I think it's a blanket term, it has, it has negative association anyway, when you think about the history, like Cambridge Analytica and Facebook and all the things that happened there. But a well-timed advert for something that you actually want, and you get it, and there's something you wouldn't have seen otherwise, I mean, that's a great thing. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good thing. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. I think that the, the, the clever operators and suppliers, of course, who are, who are supplying into those operators will be doing exactly that. We'll be targeting the right people for the right products um, and for the right experiences. And, and actually streamlining your marketing to the point whereby you aren't just throwing as much at the wall as possible and seeing what sticks is a positive anyway, because it's much less, you know, it's much more reward for a lot less effort, essentially. Yeah. Um, just want to go back a bit. You mentioned that operators this year have been really scrappy. And one of the terms you actually mentioned on our previous episode was sweat, sweating assets. And yes. I think, that, yeah, it's a great expression. Um, yeah. But yeah, what, like in, in terms of methods that, that people can put, like things that people can put into action, like how, how are you seeing... Yeah, some more examples of, of, of that scrappiness in action, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And when I say scrappy, I mean they're sort of scrapping for every sort of bit of business and every penny. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't mean they're doing it in a bad way, not at all. No. In fact, you know, some of the, as I said, some of the most amazing innovations have happened over the last couple of years. Um, I mean, sweating assets for me is all about, it's not just about the venue. It's about absolutely everything. It's about taking a really good look at your business. And not making any decisions that don't automatically or in the end improve the customer experience. You know, always, always start with the customer. I think that when you're sweating assets, you need to think of several different areas. So, yes, of course, you've got to think of the venue. What can I be doing upstairs because I've got a spare function room upstairs? Or what can I be doing down in the basement? You know, and there's some great examples of that. Pizza Pilgrims, for example, their, um, their venue in Brighton, I believe, has like a small um, football pitch downstairs in the basement. Like a, what do they call the... Like and they've got a little bar down there as well. So it's great. People come in, they finish their pizza and then they go and play a game or vice versa, whatever it is. You know, yeah. so it's, it's about sweating the asset of the venue, of course. It's also about sweating the assets of your staff. So we are seeing more and more, um, especially the younger demographic of what we call a portfolio career. So that idea that I've got lots of different irons and lots of different fires. So I might have, this is my, job number one is my rent payer. Job number two is my passion project. Job number three is a side hustle, you know. So the idea that 
people go into one job and stay blinkered in that job, I think is actually leaving us. And I think that's a great thing. You've got quite a lot of businesses who are now training up staff in four or five different roles. And they might only get to the basic level of each, but it means that they can jump on the pass when they're needed, or they can go out and clear glasses, or they can do whatever is necessary. So I think that making sure that you're utilizing your staff to the best of their ability um, and helping them to develop, I think, is, is another sweating the asset uh, opportunity. Of course, you've also got to look at all the day part, week part, etc. I mean, you know, if you're not serving breakfast, are you sure that you shouldn't be serving breakfast? And, and, and you know, what are you doing hour by hour, day by day? Um, throughout the week that utilizes the time, the staff, the, the the space that you've got. I think that that's incredibly important. And then finally, I would say it's about product as well. So unless you are someone like pizza pilgrims, they do pizza. That's what they do. You know, they're not going to suddenly like launch a seafood concept under the name pizza pilgrims, although. You never know. I'll, I'll, I'll ask them what they're planning on doing. But um, unless you are a specialist, if you're Rosa's tie or if you're Pizza Pilgrims, then what products can you be bringing in that are a little bit different? What can be new? What what can you impress the customer with when they come in? You know, we know that customers, when they look at menus in restaurants, for example, the first thing they look at is um, uh, the first thing they look at is the price. We know that that's always going to be the case unless we all suddenly become some kind of socialist country. Um, but uh, the second thing that people look at is what are the specials? And it's because it's something that, again, it's, oh, okay, well, this is interesting. This is something I am i can't do at home or it's something I might not be able to have again, so I'm definitely going to have that. So, again, it's about sweating that asset of using different products, whether that's food, whether that's drinks, whatever it is, to create that great experience for customers. Yeah, totally. There's a lot of flexibility around that. Um, how are you seeing technology innovation drive the hospitality industry forward and it's seeing like opportunities for entrepreneurs or people or the existing businesses and people within them to innovate in different ways yeah i mean look i'm not a technology um uh not i'm not a knowledgeable person when it comes to technology but i do know what seems to work with our customers i think that we can get caught up with just putting in technology for technology's sake in some places i just don't think that it's adding again going back to the customer experience is it adding to the customer experience so is it doing is it taking away some of the uh, menial back office tasks so that the team are freed up to give a better customer experience or is it directly adding to to the customer experience and i think where we see success is for example great one is tip jar so tip jar where you've got a QR code and you scan and the money goes straight into the service pockets, essentially. I mean, you know, I think it's collated monthly or whatever it might be. Um, that solves a problem for um, the back office. It makes the team happier and it makes the customer happier because they are convinced that the money is going straight to the person that is serving them. And, that you know, therefore they feel that they are uh, contributing in the right way. Um, I think that order and pay is really interesting area. Um, obviously, this came about almost completely in the um, pandemic. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm trying desperately to think that there might have been a couple of brands that did it, but I, I think pretty much, you know, that was that was a new innovation in the pandemic. Um, we just have to be careful because not everybody wants to 
use a QR code. Some people want a paper menu and research that we have done with restaurant customers say it ends up being pretty split, actually, whether people want a, a paper menu or card menu, whatever, or whether they want the, the QR code. So, again, it's about the customer experience. Give, give them the choice. Yeah, totally. And have you seen, I completely agree with you, by the way, no technology for technology's sake, and it's got to be, it's got to serve a practical purpose. Have you seen or experienced anyone getting caught up in the AI hype in any way? Or or have you, I mean, in terms of actual practical purposes for it, but also where it's like, it's a slight distraction? Um, I I have only slightly explored the AI side of things. I really, I haven't got my head quite into it yet. So you're probably better off asking that question to someone else. But what I will say is nothing can ever take the place of really good hospitality. And, and, And there has to be a human feeling behind that. So for me, AI is about taking away those odious tasks that you don't want to do um and that then again frees up the team to do more creative um side of things so for me ai is the same as any kind of technology it just must serve a really really useful purpose and it mustn't take away from the hospitality experience i can agree more um i've noted one of the observations that you've flagged in, in the report which i thought was really interesting was the importance of, um, I guess, net- networking and building relationships and partnerships within the industry. So you're saying like turning a competitor into a more of a collaborative mindset. I, I think, have, have you got any tips for those in the in the sector in terms of why you do that and, and the benefits of doing so as well? And I guess broadening your network as well, because collaboration is definitely becoming more needed, share best practice, all that stuff. So, you know, thoughts yeah. on that? I mean, I'm a big fan of a collab. I think um, I think that collaborating with people within your industry is not just the right thing to do, but it's essential. Um, again, during the pandemic, we saw people sort of pulling together to help each other. And, and you know, this is not a new thing. I think sometimes we, we, we get carried away and, and sort of think, oh, look at, look at us doing all this new stuff. But, you know, back in the 1800s, 1700s, pubs would share beer barrels they would you know they 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 would help each other out if they went out of stock you know they would they would have uh, the knockers going around from pub to pub to say when there was somebody that was unsavory you know locally so you know we've been collaborating as an industry for years um where i think we've got to now is that people are starting to see that this it's the sum is greater than the parts um and that actually working together um, to provide, again, for the customer, to provide something the customer wants is, is incredibly um, important. I also think, you know, we have to be willing to admit failure. We have to know when we're not going to be that good at something and we therefore should be working with someone else to do it. And a great example of that is a pub company who will remain nameless, who I worked with about five years ago, who wanted to create their own coffee brand. And they piled hundreds of thousands of pounds into this coffee brand and and never launched it because it was just it just wasn't much good so then they did a jv with somebody else and i think that we have to see collaboration as something that is for the greater good um and not just sort of bury our heads in the sand thinking that we're doing a great job at something when actually somebody else can do it better yeah for sure and i in terms of 
uh, things that are coming up in the next year. I mean, it'd be a great place to end, actually. What are your headline predictions for 2024? Uh, Big question. Mystic Meg. Um, Right. What are my big predictions? I believe that we are going to see a little bit of consolidation within the pub market specifically. Um, I think we're going to see some of the big six um, swallowing up some of the smaller multiple operators. I think that in general, uh, competitive socialising is going to continue to grow. Um, What I'd really like to see from that side of things is their food offering increased um, and and improved, I should say. Um, If you go to somewhere like Clay's, they've got fantastic food offering, um, but there's a lot of beige food elsewhere. So I'd really like them to start becoming a bit more of an all-round hospitality experience rather than just focused on whatever the competitive socialising element is. I think that restaurant-wise, we are going to struggle in the middle a little bit. I think um, the premium seems to be doing absolutely fine. Um, and as does value. Um, and as I said before, those with a really solid, specific offering who know who they are and know who their customers are, I think will continue to thrive. Um, late night is obviously, you know, the, the decrease in, in late night has been, um, well, it's been heartbreaking really, because I just think about when I was in my sort of like early 20s and stuff and going out clubbing and dancing and, you know, one by one, a lot of those venues are, are leaving us, which is a real shame. Um, but I think that late night will continue to evolve itself. And again, you, it just needs to be more than shots and a dance floor now. Um, I think that overall, the industry is going to have a really tough first part of the year. Um, and I hope that depending on interest rates, et cetera, et cetera, that customers, I think, will hopefully start to spend again come summer, is, is, is my thoughts. Amazing. Katie, thank you so much. That's a perfect place to finish. I really appreciate you taking the time and I think people will find this so useful. Um, is there any, any other topics you want to want to touch on? No, no. It's been, it, it's, it's been quite interesting, actually. I've almost sort of ordered my own mind as to <laughs> what I'm thinking for next year. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be tough. It's, it, it's a tough industry to work in at the best of times. Um, but it's also the best industry in the world, in my view. So I am sure that those that that put the effort in and that get to know their customers and make sure their customers have an amazing experience will will do well by the end of next year. Incredible. Thank you so much, Katie. Thank you. Well, there you have it. I hope you found Katie's insights as useful as I did and we're going to have a laser focus on the experience. Please don't hesitate to get in touch if you have any thoughts to the podcast and please don't hesitate to share, like and subscribe. But for now, thank you very much for listening.